temperature is a major source of concern for food service operators. Hi, I'm Becca. And I'm Derek. And you're listening to Food Ops. Derek is an inspector, a health inspector, aren't you? Yes, I am. Today we are talking about food temperatures so that you can ensure the safety of your guests. We'll be talking about cooking temperatures, holding temperatures, and pop quiz. What is the holding temperature of vegetables? Stick around, we're going to be talking about that. Hey, Derek. Hey, Becca. Why is it important for us to have this discussion today about food temperatures? Well, when it comes to serving your customers foods that are of raw animal origin, such as eggs, fish, meat, poultry, and other types of foods that contain those raw animal foods, you need to be aware of food safety practices because inadequate cooking temperatures and improper holding temperatures as well can potentially increase the bacteria count in those foods and can potentially make the public sick. When the public's sick, that would lead into what we typically would call food poisoning? Yeah, that's, we call it foodborne illnesses. Um, Food poisoning is kind of a misnomer, but typically the public refers to it as food poisoning, so yes. Well, let's visit the world of cooking temperatures. Talk to us a little bit about that. You mentioned meat and then other items such as eggs. Yeah, so different types of foods have a minimum internal cooking temperature requirement for a certain time parameter. So really there's a a time temperature relationship when talking about food temperatures. So first of all, raw shell eggs that are broken and prepared in response to a consumer's order uh, for immediate service needs to be cooked to an internal temperature of at least 145 degrees or above for 15 seconds. Raw shell eggs cooked to a consumer's order. So we're going to crack that egg in the restaurant, cook it up, and serve it to the customer at table seven in the dining room. Yes, that's right. So generally speaking, that's correct. There are some exceptions, and we may talk about those. But overall, when cooking eggs, you need to keep in mind that time-temperature relationship. Can you, can you explain for the newbies what time-temperature relationship is? Yeah, it's just the amount of time that the food needs to be cooked at a specific temperature. So when I say that eggs need to be cooked to a minimum of 145 degrees for 15 seconds, that means that the internal cooking temperature of that product needs to reach 145 degrees and then maintained at that temperature or above for at least 15 seconds. Oh, I didn't realize that. 15 seconds is the threshold, huh? Yes. Generally speaking, there are, again, some uh, exceptions that we get to, but generally speaking, 15 seconds at that temperature. Are there any other items that would fit in Club 145? Yes. So in addition to eggs, fish and meat including game animals that are commercially raised for food, are going to be in that same category of 145 degrees for 15 seconds. 
So those are the items that we would cook at 145 degrees and they would hold at that temperature for a minimum of 15 seconds. What would be the next temperature threshold? Another threshold is going to be foods that need to be cooked to a minimum of 155 degrees Fahrenheit for 15 seconds. That's going to include foods such as ratites, mechanically tenderized and injected meats, comminuted fish, meat, and game animals commercially raised for food. Can you explain what each of those would be? So for ratites, initially, that's going to include large fowl, such as ostrich, emu, and rheas. And then communated fish, meat, and game animals means that, for, well, for an example of that would be hamburger patties. So it's not a whole piece of steak, for example. It's separated meat. Maybe it's taken from different portions of the animal, and it's ground up and assembled in, in its own package. Like a hot dog? Yeah, like a hot dog. Gotcha. Hot dog, patties, sausages. Hot dog, hot dog, hot diggity dog. <laughs> And what would an example of mechanically tenderized and injected meats be? Oh, an example of mechanically tenderized beef, that actually refers to like solid uncooked cuts of beef that have been pierced by blades, needles, or other similar instruments. So that's the tenderization by a mechanism part of it. And they could also be injected at that point. Injected with what? Enzymes or chemicals that are used to make the meat more tender. All right, so we have Club 145, Club 155. Are there any other temperatures to note? Yeah, we have uh, a third club, which is 165 degrees, and that would include poultry, balutes, stuffed fish, stuffed meat, stuffed poultry, and stuffed ratites. And then if you have stuffing that contains fish, meat, poultry, or retites, and then if you have a pasta that is that also has food stuffed with fish, meat, poultry, or retites, and then wild game animals also fall in that club. I think that you also said game animals fell into the 145 club as well. What's, what's the difference between the two? Yeah, so the ones that fall into the 145 club are game animals that are commercially raised. So in this club, 165, these are wild game animals that are, well, not commercially raised. They're wild and hunted or obtained in the wild. Oh, I see. Good to know. All right, Derek, so we've talked about various temperatures for meats. Where would veggies fall into cooking temperatures, what would we be looking for in cooking our veggies? So vegetables typically don't have a minimum cooking temperature. However, once you do cook them or sear them or heat treat them in any way, they do become a potentially hazardous food. And then you would either need to serve it to the customer or if you're going to hot hold it, you do need to maintain a minimum temperature of 135. So you just have to think about your process of cooking 
the vegetables? Is it going to be for immediate service or are you going to keep it warm for a future order? Well, you know, Derek, the good old days when our families would cook the Sunday roast. Oh, absolutely. Those were Mm -hmm. always good. Taking you back a little bit. Yeah. Do those have a different requirement for the duration of cooking, the time that they can be held, the temperature? Yes. So, again, we're talking about restaurants and permitted food facilities in regards to California Retail Food Code. But whole beef roasts, corned beef roasts, pork roasts, lamb roasts, and large hams, they are actually divided up into a weight class. So less than 10 pounds, you need to have an oven temperature of a certain degrees, and that's going to be generally 350 degrees or more. Then if those roasts are 10 pounds or more, the oven temperature can be 250 degrees or more. And then you're going to cook those for a certain length of time. And you can refer to California Retail Food Code for the chart to determine the length of time that they need to be cooked with an internal cooking temperature. For example, a roast that is cooked to an internal cooking temperature of 130 degrees needs to be at 130 degrees for at least 112 minutes. And and that's the minimum internal cooking temperature. Everything goes up from there. And then as the temperature goes up, the time at that temperature goes down. For instance, if you reach an internal temperature of 157 degrees, you only need to keep it at that temperature for a minimum of 14 seconds. So the hotter it goes, the less it needs to be at that temperature. That's correct. The shorter amount of time. Okay. Derek, we just talked about various roasts. I'm wondering about items like a medium rare steak or if I want to cook sushi or raw oysters. What do you recommend in preparation for those? Well, raw or undercooked whole muscle, intact beef, steak can actually be served or offered in ready-to-eat form um, in any manner as long as both the top and the bottom reach a surface temperature of 145 degrees and you have a visual color change on the external surfaces. So the internal temperature doesn't have to reach a certain temperature, just the outside. So it's it's a searing of sorts. How do I go about testing the temperature externally of the surface? It would be done using the same probe thermometer that you would use for an internal cooking temperature. You're just going to come in at an angle just to get right under the top of the surface. So what about sushi and raw oysters? Yeah, so there are certain foods that can be served raw to consumers as long as the public or the consumer is notified that what they are eating can potentially make them sick. But as long as they're notified of that in writing uh, through a reminder or even through uh, a verbal statement, then certain foods can be can be served to the public raw. And that would include oysters, sushi, even even raw meats and steaks. 
And when you say raw, do you mean actually raw? There's no temperature put to them at all? Correct. No heat treatment of in any form, but the public has to be made aware that what they're consuming could possibly make them ill. Now, if I want to hold my cooked meats and veggies, what temperature do I need to maintain? After you've cooked your f- animal products, vegetables, you need to hold them at 135 degrees Fahrenheit or higher. So that would include any of your raw meats, that you've cooked, and any heat-treated vegetables. And does that include the cooked-to-order veggies? No, since you're not going to be holding them, if it's just cooked-to-order, that that implies that there's not going to be a a holding process. So those can be seared, cooked to any temperature, and then served immediately. I'm curious about the difference between cooking at a temperature of 145 and holding at a lower temperature, what's the reason for that? The reasoning behind that is to kill off bacteria or other microbes that may cause someone to become ill. So that's why it has to be held at that temperature for a certain number of seconds, typically 15 seconds, is to kill anything in those raw animal products. And then once you've killed off the microbes, you want to keep an elevated temperature so that new microbes don't begin to grow even after they may be introduced to the food. So really, we have a danger zone that's between 41 degrees and 135 degrees. That's considered the danger zone, and you want to keep foods out of that because that zone in the temperature scale is ideal for bacteria growth. If I'm a new restaurant owner, what am I going to need in order to maintain that holding temp? I've seen the, the heat lamps at a buffet line or steam tables, something like that. Yes, exactly. So gas-powered steam tables can be used to keep food above 135 degrees. Um, ovens can be used, even uh, heat lamps, like you say. A lot of fast food restaurants use heat lamps to keep, uh, you know, fries or their wrapped burgers warm. And these would apply to mobile food facilities like the food truck as well as in-home prep catering services? Yeah, food trucks, they have steam table capabilities inside them as well. And then at home, yeah, the the micro-enterprise home kitchen operators, you know, if they want to buy a steam table and bring it into their house, that's perfectly acceptable. They can also use their ovens to keep food warm or just the the stovetops. Sometimes a restaurant owner or a food service provider might have a great idea and then they hit a few roadblocks and An idea, say, like juicing, for example, or growing microgreens, might not be as simple as one might think. Derek, what are some of the special processes that we need to know about? Yeah, so there are a few special processes that you have to get approval from the local health department in order to make in your restaurant or home kitchen. Some of them require a HACCP plan. Others just require... um, a review of 
your SOPs. So some of these things might include, like you say, bottling juice. So if you're going to bottle juice and keep it for an extended period of time, that's going to require a HACCP plan and approval. If you want to make sushi rice and make it outside of the parameters of the retail food code, then you're going to need, again, special approval. Some other examples include making kombucha tea, making yogurt for table service, operating a shellfish tank. Um, as you mentioned, sprouting seeds or beans, those have to be done in um, a, a certain environment. And so a HACCP plan is needed for that. And then growing microgreens and some other special processes could be considered as needing a HACCP plan too. What is it about the process of producing and providing these foods that we need to be aware of? Why are they specialty items? Well, they just have the potential to make people ill. Um, they, the way that they're manufactured has certain safety concerns. So th that's why a HACCP plan is needed, so we can look at the process that you're proposing and making sure that it's done in a safe manner. And what is a HACCP plan? A HACCP plan simply stands for Hazard Analysis Critical Control Points Plan. And that's just a plan that identifies how you're going to, for instance, receive certain foods, how you're going to maintain them in proper temperatures, how you're going to ensure that any chemical, biological, or physical contaminants are going to be excluded from entering the food, and then a, a review and evaluation of the final product and storage of that product. So the overall procedure to produce and maintain le certain levels of safety that's right. That's right. All right, y'all, it's time for Now Trending. Derek, I was looking at some new homes, and these homes did not have a sink in the island. You know how a lot of times the new home designs have a sink in the island? Right. These homes actually had the cooktop. Okay. Have you seen that before? Yeah, I've seen a cooktop in a, in an island before. So commonly, households have a hood over the cooktop. Right. Right? These islands did not. Oh. Right? Okay. Um, so that got me thinking, what's the purpose of a hood? And where is their hood? If a hood is essential, where is their hood? Okay, so let's talk about the purpose of the hood, and then we'll examine your example. So the purpose of a hood is to ventilate the exhaust fumes that are generated through the cooking process. So when I make my spaghetti, when you make your it's spaghetti, very yes, all that water is boiling and the steam that's coming off, it needs to go somewhere otherwise it's going to damage damage the finishes like on your cabinets and your ceiling and your wall because that's a lot of heat that's being generated. So the hood just provides a way to exhaust those fumes outside of the facility or your house. Now, in a restaurant or even your home kitchen, uh, exhaust hoods serve another purpose besides just ventilation. They actually do a filtration of those vapors that are coming off the 
the cooked foods through the cooking process because a lot of them are grease laden. So if you cooked raw animal products, grease laden foods, there's going to be a lot of grease in those vapors and the hood fil- filters out the grease particles from the vapors. Uh, and that's why the hoods need cleaned frequently to, to clean off the grease that accumulates on there. So going back to the example of the new home designs that may not have a hood over the kitchen island, what do you think that they're doing there to allow for a hood? Well, what I've seen, and this is probably the case, there's there's still a, a ventilation process. It's just not in a hood that's over the counter or the range top. It's, it's actually in the countertop on the same level as the range. So as the fumes and the exhaust vapors are emitted, they actually get sucked and pulled down into an exhaust system rather than up through the ceiling. Pretty interesting how that's engineered, huh? Oh, okay. That's an interesting design. Thinking about it, I think I still prefer to have my sink in the island and the cooktop along the wall with the hood. Yeah, I agree. I like that configuration best. This brings us to the end of this episode of Food Ops, where we've talked about food temperatures, special processes, and the now-trending cooktop with the downdraft hood. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Derek. And we will see you next time.